welcome back, everybody. It's time again for another episode of Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis with the woman who never tires of talking about it here. Sometimes I sigh and I go, wow, again. But you got some, you got some positive hope here and some education today, uh, as you always do. Roberta Luna, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here. I love coming in rather than Zoom, but, you know, we do what we do. I'm thrilled today to have our special guest back, Tori Larick from the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, this time in person. So thank you, Tori, for coming back. We really appreciate yes. seeing you. Can you just tell us a little bit what you do at PanCan? Sure, absolutely. I'm so happy to be here and (laughs) and seeing you both in person. So thank you for having me. So I am one of the managers in our patient services department uh, at the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. And what we do in patient services is provide personalized and tailored resources to those that are impacted by the disease. So both patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals that work with pancreatic cancer patients. And we provide an array of different resources and materials and information to really inform conversations with the healthcare team and make sure that patients are, are being their own best advocate. Yeah, you guys really give us a lot and I really appreciate all of you at Patient Services. I've known you for a long time when you were pals, so sometimes that kind of slips back out again. Definitely. But it's a great service to have because I've been able to even call when I've had a question about an article that I recently read about a new treatment or a drug or something and they've been very great about giving me information just for so I can make my own decision, but to at least so I understand what I'm reading or looking at. Last month was Clinical Trials Awareness Month, and we talked about the myths and the importance of clinical trials. But today, um, can you kind of just like guide us through clinical trials, what to expect, and why clinical trials participation is safe? Maybe if we can start with why the safety of the clinical trials. Yeah, definitely. So clinical trials are imperative and really important. Um, They potentially provide new treatments and access to treatments prior to them being readily available. And they're also how we're going to improve outcomes and learn more about what works for treatment of the disease. Um, And in terms of safety for clinical trials, clinical trials are extremely patient-centric and focused around safety. So there are three phases of testing in a clinical trial, phases one, two, and three, and that's where a drug or combination of drugs has to pass through that to potentially get FDA approval. And safety is the priority of every phase. Um, And there are many things in place that really protect patients and make sure that they are safe, and that's really at the forefront. And just starting a little bit, just in the very beginning, um, so there is an informed consent process that patients really have to start with. Um, to make sure that they're fully educated about what to potentially expect and that they really understand how something is designed, what they're going to be potentially receiving and have their questions answered. So everyone that participates in a trial has to have all of the information and be educated about what to expect. And it's a very personal decision, but safety is at the forefront of that, starting with the informed consent process. And at every phase, safety is the priority. There's also something called the Institutional Review Board, which is a a committee that makes sure through the FDA that everything that's done in the clinical trial process is safe for patients. We can definitely dig into that a little bit further because all of the kind of elements and components of a trial are very geared and focused around safety. First, you mentioned the um, informed consent. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something that somebody going to sit down and talk to me about it? Is it just something I'm going to read? How, how is that handled? Definitely. So 
As part of the screening for the trial and enrolling in a clinical trial, there are many forms that patients will receive as well as working with a study coordinator um, the treatment team. So it'll be a combination of both. There's paperwork and you have to <laughs> sign and read through that paperwork, but we also are making sure that patients are asking their questions, speaking with the trial coordinator, following up about anything that they maybe don't understand, and that trial coordinator should be providing additional information verbally um, to make sure that a patient really knows what to potentially expect. So, and if at any point someone is going through that process and signing paperwork, speaking with the trial coordinator, decides that they don't want to move forward with the trial or, or don't feel comfortable or they've chosen a different treatment option, they can back out at any time. So again, very patient-centric and is a very individual and personal decision as well. So if they do decide to start, but at some point in time they change their mind, there's no issue with with this, with stopping the clinical trial? That is correct. Of course, with the you know advice of the healthcare team and the doctor, but if a patient did want to stop receiving treatment through a clinical trial, they could stop at any time. At when they're discussing the informed consent, is that mm -hmm. when they're told about um, additional maybe appointments or additional costs that may occur? Exactly. So that informed consent process is process really deals with all of the logistics of the trial, including any costs that may be associated, insurance coverage, how often they would be going to the trial site, how it's designed. So are they going to know what treatment they're receiving, what treatments may potentially be received, um, any tests, procedures that they're gonna need to do, um, really just kind of digging in deeper to the logistics so that a patient knows what to expect and there are no surprises in terms of what would be uh, incorporated as part of the trial. So all of that kind of holistic logistic conversation is, is really well understood before someone commits and signs the paperwork to move forward. And it's put in like layman's terms or language I can really understand and not have to get somebody maybe professional to look at and go over with again? So yes, and that's where having the coordinator or someone involved through the study team or through the trial is really important. Um, and we can, you know, through patient services, um, we can also help kind of guide some of those conversations and questions that someone can ask of a trial coordinator to learn more about what they may be considering as, as treatment through a clinical trial. So that's where the study coordinator really comes in because sometimes with informed consent paperwork and things like that, it might require that additional explanation and we encourage asking questions during that period before committing. Now, is that coordinator somebody separate from PANCAN or is that? Yes, okay. so a trial coordinator, um, so they're, that would actually be part of the clinical trial. Um, they would be someone who is on site at the clinical trial or through the sponsor of the particular clinical trial and they would be providing that information and going through the paperwork with them. Okay, mm -hmm. and at that time I would assume they would know any eligibility criteria and if, they're, if they meet that, how do they find that out? Yes, that is correct. And that's one of the reasons that clinical trials are safe is the eligibility criteria. And that essentially what that means is every trial has a specific criteria that must be met in order to participate. So it's not one size fits all. Every trial is designed um, and is seeking patients in different situations based on their treatment history, stage, type of pancreatic cancer, specifics about their situation. So upon potentially enrolling and screening in a clinical trial, a patient has to meet those requirements for the trial. And that's part of the screening process, which we can definitely dive into as well. And in order to move forward with that process, they do have to meet that criteria. Part of the reason that criteria is developed and it's so individual is because trials are really designed for 
potentially seeking patients that may benefit the most from a particular therapy. So that's one reason that there's criteria. Another is just for the safety and to make sure that the data collected is is going to be, you know, make the most sense as well. So, um, and then upon receiving a list of clinical trials as well to even determine what might potentially be an option, we go through the clinical trial criteria to make sure that we're only providing a listing uh, through our patient services department that fits that individual patient's needs based on the treatment that they've been on or whatever their scenario is or situation is. Do the clinical trials, do they have like a set number of participants or does it just vary on each trial each time? So it, it does. They typically have a goal to be met for trial participation. Phase one is usually the smallest of trials. It's the smallest number. The phases, as they um, kind of as the phases increase, the size usually of the uh, trial accrual goal increases. So phase two is a little bit bigger, and phase three, those are usually the largest trials. So they usually do have a, a recruitment or accrual goal. Um, but every trial is different, so that's one thing too. Upon considering trials, that will all be clear to you um, as part of the informed consent process. The criteria will be clear. The accrual goal will be clear, what you're going to receive, that's all part of really learning about a trial. And even before signing the informed consent process, all of this information for the most part is openly accessible and publicly available to people before they move forward with even contacting a trial site. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. I know we talked a little bit about um, the patients being monitored. You Mm -hmm. mentioned a board. Um, Yeah. Now, who's on that board and, and what I mean, what is their goal or what is it that they're trying to accomplish? So the Institutional Review Board is an independent committee um, that's through the FDA that also reviews just the safety protocols, logistics, everything of a clinical trial. So it's another body that is really taking a look at making sure that the trial design is organized, that it's potentially safe. So every clinical trial must go through that rigorous IRB process to make sure that it fits all of the criteria and that it's potentially safe. And who sits on that board? So it's a combination of top researchers and doctors that are on that board. They make up the IRB, the Institutional Review guess, Board. Do you ever ever have, have pharmaceutical companies on that board at all? So that that's a that's a good question. I believe so. Um, so I believe that they're also incorporated in that as well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked many times and we hear many times about patients' concerns about getting a placebo. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the um, consent form, do they know if they're getting a standard of treatment drug or if they're getting a new drug? Mm -hmm. Or does PANCAN even use placebos or do any research use placebos for clinical trials? Sure. So a placebo is effectively that concept of a sugar pill. So it would be the control arm of a study and just want to really note again and highlight again that a patient would never just receive a placebo. At the very least, they would receive the standard of care treatment. And the goal of a placebo is to really help and compare and learn about the experimental therapy against the standard of care, including the placebo, to, to learn more about the drug. Every clinical trial is designed differently. So some clinical trials may have that control arm where there is a placebo involved and it would be standard of care versus the experimental therapy. Um, Others don't necessarily have that. And it's a single arm trial, meaning that everyone in the trial is receiving the same therapy. 
Others are open label, meaning that both the patients and the study team are going to have knowledge of what they will potentially be receiving. Some of them are blind, meaning that they won't necessarily know. But these are things that you learn up front. Um, even in getting your list of clinical trials from patient services, or if you've done research using other databases or clinicaltrials.gov, on every clinical trial summary, it's going to note how the trial is designed. So um, that's something that you would know up front about how the trial is designed moving forward. Just getting back, because yeah. I, I know, like I said, I get a lot of questions. A yeah. lot of people just, do you use the word placebo at all? Any in any any tra any transmission or yeah. any talks at all? Is that word brought up at all? It can be. So in conversations, the word placebo can be utilized. Um, and on the summaries, that may be noted on a clinical trial summary as well. And when they do that, though, do they explain there that they're not talking about the sugar pill, that they are actually talking about the standard of treatment now? Yes, that should be something that's explained um, and is pretty widely. One thing that we're, you know, that's a conversation at PanCan and through patient services that we're having often is really kind of debunking that concept mm -hmm. of a placebo. And um, at the very least, patients would get standard of care. And that should be fully explained as part of the informed consent process and really learning about a clinical trial. And a question that we encourage asking if someone is going through the screening process, um, you know, asking about that as well. If they, like I said, maybe they just throw the, the word around. I think that's, like I said, I get yeah. a lot of people who make a comment that they're afraid to do the clinical trial yeah. because of the thought of a placebo and not yeah. maybe understanding what the word really means. They're looking at mm -hmm. it being a sugar pill. Mm -hmm. And just mm -hmm. to clarify, PanCan does not yeah. use a sugar pill. They would get the correct. standard treatment, correct? Yes, correct. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, and I, I see what you're saying. So, yes, it would be at the very least the standard of care. And that is correct. That placebo kind of has a stigma and that mm -hmm. concept of a, a placebo. So, the very least it would be standard of care and receiving that treatment. Okay, good. Thank you. I hope we clarify mm -hmm. that enough. I know, like I said, mm -hmm. it's just the word itself. I hear from a lot of people yeah. saying, I'm afraid I'm going to get a placebo, placebo and not really understanding. So if we can, I don't yeah. know if it, when they go over the mm -hmm. consent form, if mm -hmm. they can make sure that they understand what yeah. that, if that word is in there, exactly what it means. So, Definitely. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for clarifying that. I'm sorry to keep pounding it, but no, it's, it's okay. just something that people say to me many times. And the next thing I hear a it's lot important. is the fear of being treated as a guinea pig. Yes, definitely. So, so important to note that every single drug that is utilized for the treatment of pancreatic cancer in oncology, other drugs and other spaces as well for all other conditions started in the clinical trial process. So that's really important to note. Um, and it is imperative that clinical trials are in place and that patients are enrolling in trials so that we can move the needle and gain more understanding and information about drugs. So, and patients are really working with top researchers and doctors as part of a clinical trial. So it's it's the furthest thing from that. It's so closely monitored. Safety is a, a true priority. There is um, lots of focus around the symptoms, the side effects, the responses to treatment. So um, there are always open dialogues and conversations. Um, we are encouraging all patients, whether they're participating in a clinical trial or not, to keep a journal of side effects and symptoms to be having these open lines of communication with the healthcare team. So um, it's a, a really kind of multidisciplinary approach to being able to, to work with a, the study team and with the healthcare team. So that's another stigma and thing that we really need to debunk. It's not that way. Safety is the priority. This is all about safety, learning about these drugs, efficacy, finding, um, 
finding drugs that are, are really, again, going to move the needle for treatment of the disease. Does somebody from the board ever contact the patient in, in the clinical trial to see how it's going to get their opinion or to make sure that they are being treated correctly? Yeah, so my understanding would be that it would most it would mostly be the the clinical trial um, the clinical trial study team that would be you know kind of asking questions of the patients, but that could potentially be something that that might be done. Yeah, we talked about a patient mm-hmm. at any time can mm-hmm. stop a clinical mm-hmm. trial. Yeah, is there anything else that you want to let us know as far as safety wise that we yeah. didn't touch on? That yeah. maybe we missed? Sure. Missed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I, I think we really touched on everything. So the main things really going through that informed consent process, understanding logistics of the trial, eligibility criteria, understanding that the reason that that's in place is that the they are looking for a patient population that may have the best response to this treatment, being carefully monitored by top researchers and doctors, the concept of really always receiving at the very least standard of care treatment and not just a placebo, and then making sure that there's knowledge that there are these committees at play and the IRB is really involved in making sure that everything is safe for patients um, and, and that the trial is designed and organized in a way where that's the priority. Okay, oh, sounds good. Yeah. And I hope more people get interested and look into clinical trials. And that brings me as to how do I find out about a clinical trial if my doctor doesn't mention it? Yeah. I mean, how would a patient even know that clinical trials exist? Definitely. So self-advocacy is so incredibly important. And unfortunately, you know, we do hear that sometimes it takes that additional researching and pushing on the patient and caregiver's end to make sure that they are getting informed about all of the options that are available. So first step in the process, um, there, there are various ways that you can do research about clinical trials that could potentially be an option. Um, Pain Cancer Patient Services is one of those ways that you can learn about what is is available. Um, And by reaching out, you can be connected with a case manager um, and they will run a personalized search based on things like previous treatment history, stage, type of pancreatic cancer, any other kind of pre-existing medical conditions or things that we should note. And then we compile a list of personalized clinical trials and that can be printed, emailed, Mm -hmm. taken to the healthcare team, to the oncologist. And at that point, we encourage patients to ask for the oncologist's assistance and narrowing that list down and really determining which of those trials may be the most appropriate. So that would be kind of the first and second step. And then once that's identified, so once you work with your healthcare team and they identify on that list, maybe these few trials stand out and would be a good fit. Either you as the patient or caregiver or the doctor can reach out to the trial site The contact information is on all of the clinical trial summaries that we provide, as well as these other databases and resources like clinicaltrials.gov. So there will be a specific study contact on that information, and you can reach out uh, to really start the conversation and learn more about the trial and what the next steps in the process would be. And one of the really important parts of this before making that initial phone call is getting prepared to have that conversation. So having a list of questions to ask and then also being prepared to really have questions asked of the patient as well. Um, And some of that preparation can include things like having tests, scans, results from from medical records readily available, having just general information about um, treatment history and specifics of the diagnosis. So again, stage and type um, and anything else that would be pertinent to really share and Stop me if I'm... No, 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 <laughs> you're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> so really kind of being prepared for those conversations. 
And then asking things of the trial site. So whoever you connect with asking, you know, is this particular trial currently accepting patients? What are the next steps for the screening process? Kind of to your point in your question about the size of a trial, getting more clarification about that. What may potentially be received in this trial? Even if you have the trial summary and general information, speaking with that study coordinator um, is, is important to have these questions answered and really also being prepared beyond this initial conversation that an in-person screening would, would probably be the next step. So um, getting you know information about how to, to get that moving and what the next steps would be for getting that screening scheduled. And that would usually, again, be in person. Wow, that's, that's um, a lot of information. Yeah. It's, it's, you've really answered a lot of my questions because mm -hmm. I was going to say, if I'm calling you and saying mm -hmm. I want to do a clinical trial, what yeah. is the next process? Yeah. As far as distance, if yes. I mean, sometimes there's not a clinical trial close to me. Is do you give the patient the option? Are you willing to travel, or is you try to keep it close to home? How does that work? Yes, good question, and really an important thing to consider. So, just with the logistics, and typically patients travel to a trial site once weekly for a trial. That's average. Every trial can be designed differently, but through patient services, we can start with a 25 mile radius and expand upwards of that to 50, 100, 200 miles, really based on what's possible for families. Um, but we can start with the smallest radius and really expand from there. And we can also filter based on the phases in trials as well. Sometimes uh, patients and families want to take a look at everything available, so it's considering phases one, two, and three. Um, other times they may want to focus on later phase trials, so we can omit phase one from the search results as well. So really meeting you where you are and what your interests are in terms of compiling that list. Sounds, again, like I said, it's just so much. And I know there is a national uh, clinical trials mm -hmm. website and I did go there, but you know, to be honest with you, it was much easier just to let PanCan handle that yeah. <laughs> because there's yeah. so much out there. I wanna thank you for coming and sharing this information with us and enlightening us some more about clinical mm -hmm. trials. I hope we took some of the, the scare out of it and the myths and for people just to understand that it's really the only way we get our treatment and to get new drugs that we need for um, higher survival rates to go through these clinical trials. So thank you, any last minute thoughts on that? Did we miss anything, anything you just wanna Touch real quickly on? No, I just um, really encourage anyone that's considering trial participation to feel comfortable with reaching out and asking questions. That's the first step. So you can always contact patient services and we're happy to talk through any of the fears, concerns that you'd like to speak about before making a decision to get a list of trials. Okay, thank you. And they can go to the website, which is pancan.org. Mm -hmm. And Paul will give you the number in just a few minutes. But um, before we go, uh, we dedicate each episode to somebody and I had asked you um, if you had any ideas and I really loved your idea um, you thought it would be great to dedicate this episode to the caregivers who may be going through a little bit of something because you know we think about the holidays or a special moment with Valentine's Day coming up I know we always concentrate more on the bigger holidays but mm -hmm. when you brought up you know just the little the little momentums that might be it could be a birthday or or something like Valentine's Day that could be difficult for them. So just to let all your caregivers out there know, you're not alone. There is, we are all here for you. You can reach out to pancan.org. You can also give them a call, talk to, ask to talk to a patient service off, um, case associate. Manager. Thank you, a case mm -hmm. manager. Case manager. And if you want to speak to another caregiver as well, they can help you with that as well. So thank you for being here. And I look forward to you coming back because we have much more to talk about. But thank you for coming in today. It's really great to see you in person. So thank you. Yes, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. This has been lovely. I'll be back. Right, thank you.
Well, there you have it. Another good reason to tune in each and every week to our weekly journey, Living Hope. A journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer and trying to make decisions like, should I do a clinical trial? Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. If you want to share your story, always looking for more. And if you want to follow up on this episode and get some real information about clinical trials or questions or all the things we brought up here, here's the number. Patient Services, 877-2 and the number P-A-N-C-A-N. They'll give you help and information. They'll walk you through it. They'll hold your hand to tell you what they know. That's 877-2 in the letters P-A-N-C-A-N, all spelled out. 877-2-PANCAN to reach the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. For everybody here at OC Talk Radio Network, I want to thank you for tuning in. Hope you'll tell somebody and share this story with somebody today. As we stream live from our studio here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.